Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. Happy Palm Sunday! Today is Palm Sunday, so, so much to be thankful for. Uh, so much to celebrate. Uh, we, along with the crowds who laid palms on the streets as Jesus passed through, cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And someday, someday, very soon, we will get to do that for all of eternity. Cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because of what our God, because of what our Savior Jesus Christ did for us. Uh, today we're going to go about things a little bit different. Uh, there is so much stuff in today's passage, and it's kind of a long scripture reading. So we're going to jump back, uh, for those of you who were here with us during the Gideon sermon series, uh, we just went straight through the Bible, and I went straight through the story and kind of stopped and taught along the way. And so that's how we're going to approach this today. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to go straight through the story of Jesus before Pilate, uh, and we're going to just teach as we go. And then I got a couple main points for us to focus in on at the end. Uh, but that's where we're going to start. So if you have your Bibles with you and you would like to follow along, we're going to be in John 18, and we're going to start in verse 28. That's where we're going to start this thing, and we're going to go all the way through John 19, 15. Uh, so that's where we're going to be at. It's all going to be up on the screen. If you don't have your Bible with you, don't sweat it. It's going to be up there. Uh, before we jump in, though, and while you guys are finding your way in your Bibles, a couple of announcements. Uh, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. In May, we are starting our Gospel House membership home. That's for anybody who is interested in becoming a member at the Gospel House. We talked to a lot of people who are not available on Monday nights when we were going to host it, and so we are actually going to move that to Sundays after church, uh, just so that we can get as many people involved who want to be uh, we're going to move it right away, right after service on Sunday. Uh, everybody else is going to go down in fellowship in the fellowship room. We're going to stay right here, and we're going to hammer on the things that uh, you need to know to become a member here at the Gospel House. So if that's something that you're interested in doing, uh, you can sign up for that, uh, and, and we're going to do that Sunday right after service so as many people as possible can be there. Uh, and also, just to reiterate what Lisa said this morning, uh, we are having our Good Friday service this Friday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, everybody knows that Good Friday was coming up, but we forgot to tell you what time we were doing it. So we are going to do that at 6.30. It's just going to be an hour service. It's we're going to worship together. We're going to take communion together, and then there's going to be a short teaching. Uh, and then on Easter Sunday, that will be Sunday morning. It's just our regular Sunday morning service. Uh, please invite somebody to join you, though. Uh, they do all these studies on when is the most popular time to bring people to church and all that. And Easter has actually, a couple years ago, Easter passed Christmas as the most popular time to bring someone to church. I think Christmas has become very secularized. And there's a lot of other holidays that are celebrated around Christmas time. Easter is the only holiday we have left that is purely Christian. <laughs> 
There's, there's nothing else going on except for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the sole event that we celebrate on that day. And so it's a really good time to bring somebody to church with you. Everybody's in that mindset. And so even if they don't normally attend church, bring somebody with you. Uh, it's always helpful to someone if they have somebody to sit with. If they know that they're not going to come here staring at a bunch of strangers, but they've got that one familiar face that they can sit with, they can uh, celebrate Easter with you. So invite somebody. Okay, all done. Now, let's jump into today's teaching. Uh, believe it or not, this is the story. This is the event that inspired this entire sermon series. Jesus before Pilate. And the truth that we learn about Jesus through the eyes of Pilate. And we're going to jump in and look at more than just Pilate. We're going to look at the truth through the eyes of everybody who's involved in this event, in this, if you can call it a trial, the trial of Jesus. I have heard this trial of Jesus before Pilate described most vividly as the greatest abortion of justice in the history of the world. It's a pretty powerful picture, isn't it? But it's absolutely true. There's a teaching I heard a while ago, and it's very appropriate today since today is Palm Sunday. But some will say, you know, the very same crowd that was laying branches at Jesus' feet and crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, just days later turned on Jesus, and their shouts of Hosanna turned to shouts of crucify him. And I want to correct that a little bit because it's not exactly true. And, and in thinking so, we miss a little bit of this abortion of justice that happened. Jesus is captured in the middle of the night. Jesus is put on trial before the Pharisees and Sadducees in the middle of the night. None of his followers knew what was going on. The disciples, his twelve, those were the only ones in the garden with him who even knew that he had been captured. But the Jews are trying to rush this trial about. You know, it'd be like if we were in politics and, you know, the, the Republicans were having a, a big Republican gathering and so the Democrats said, hey, hurry, let's get to Senate and let's vote on this major issue that we know they're all going to oppose, right? It's not that the people who were crying Hosanna changed their tune. It's that the Pharisees and Sadducees changed the crowd. They put Jesus before a crowd that would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, persuaded by the masses, wanting to do the popular thing instead of the right thing, agreed. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at this story. Keep in mind, this story, this trial, this abortion of justice, all happened according to God's will. Ladies and gentlemen, this injustice happened according to God's will. So let's learn. Let's lean into what the Holy Spirit has to teach us so that we can live in God's truth, in God's justice. And we start here in verse 28. The word of God tells us, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, would we bring him to you? Or I'm sorry, would we have delivered him to you? So let's pause. Very first thing, look at, look at the irony of this. 
Jesus Christ is the only human being to ever walk this earth without sin, without doing a single thing wrong. The Jews are delivering him to the Romans. Why? For what purpose? There's a reason the Jews want him to go to the Romans. Because the Roman law won't allow them to kill Jesus, right? We're going to hit that in this passage. So the Jews deliver him to the Romans so that he can be killed, right? But they don't want to enter into the praetorium because they don't want to be unclean for their Passover meal. You, you picking up on the irony of that? Hey, Romans, kill this man for us. We know he's sinless. We know he's blameless. We, can't, we haven't caught him in anything that he's actually done wrong. In fact, they tell us that, don't they? Because Pilate says, what are the charges of this man? What's their answer? What do they tell us right here? If this man were not an evildoer, would we have even brought him to you? That's not a charge, right? They're not saying, he, we, we heard him stand up and say these things against Caesar. We, they didn't say he was leading an insurrection and he did this. That's not what they said. We wouldn't have brought him, Caesar, right? You can almost hear the dollar bills being slid across under the table, right? Caesar, you know me, buddy. We wouldn't have brought him to you if he hadn't done anything wrong. That's the charge against Jesus. You're starting to see this abortion of justice, right? It hits hard. But this is their accusation. They can't even bring a real charge against Jesus. So Pilate says to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of, of, uh, the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Now look at the very beginning of this. Look how Jesus calls out Pilate, right? He does the same thing with us. This one is you. This one is for you, Christian, who have grown up in the church all your life. Unlike society, you cannot ride your parents' coattails into the kingdom of heaven. No one else can decide who Jesus is for you. You must decide. At some point in your walk with Jesus, Jesus is going to ask you this exact same question. Are you saying this on your own, or did others tell you about me? You need to decide who Jesus is. When you follow him, you do so on your own initiative. Not because your parents said to, not because your church said to, not because your pastor said to, not because it's the cool thing to do at the time. You follow him. And if you're not doing it for you, if you're not doing it because of you, who you say Jesus is, he will call you out on it. Every single time, he will force you to make a decision for yourself. 
We also see this reiteration from Jesus. We made this last week with the Roman soldiers, right? When he tells the Roman soldiers, I am, and they all fall to their knees. Again, what does Jesus tell Pilate? He's going to hit on this again and again. He says, look, Pilate, I'm standing before you now on trial, but you have no power over me. My kingdom is much bigger than this. My kingdom is much bigger than you. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ followers, can I tell you, your kingdom, your king is bigger than any of this. Your kingdom, the kingdom you serve, is not of this world. So stop living your life like this is your life. Stop living your life like this is your kingdom. We build up our little kingdom with our little houses and our little mansions. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, you are serving a Savior whose kingdom is not of this world. We need to start living like that. We need to stop fighting for the things of this worldly kingdom. And we need to start fighting for the things of his kingdom. Continuing on in verse 37. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. And here it comes. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. We started this whole sermon series with this quote. This is the quote from Pilate that kind of kicks this whole thing off. What is truth? And it's such a popular topic today because our world is fighting and fighting and fighting over what is truth. But bigger for us, Jesus tells us, he tells Pilate, this is why I'm here. This is Jesus' mission. I am here to testify to the truth. And Pilate's response, what is truth? It used to be in our enlightened age, you know, that was always what threatened the church, right? Everybody always used to say, in our enlightenment, as science advances, eventually there won't be a need for religion anymore. People will leave that archaic stuff behind. We'll graduate from that. We'll grow up, and we'll learn that science is all we really need. It didn't happen, did it? The church is still chugging along, just as powerful as it always was. But what we've seen today is that even science isn't off limits to deconstructivism. Even science can be questioned now. What is truth? Enlightenment said science. Science is truth. Everything science said is truth. And now we're saying, well, yeah, but if I don't feel like obeying the laws of science, uh-oh. So what is truth? If we're letting society define it, if not even science can tell you that you're wrong anymore, what are we going to do? If you feel like a dog, you can be a dog. If I feel like a woman, I can be a woman. If I feel like a man, I can be a man. The science says, 
No, you can't. Biologically, no, you can't. But my feelings trump science. That's dangerous ground, right? Not even science can tell you you're wrong. Unless, of course, science tells you you're right. And then we're all about the science, right? If science tells us what we want to hear, then I'm all for it. But as soon as it contradicts me, as soon as it contradicts my feelings, uh, it's, not, it's not the boss anymore. But Christian, what's so important for us, because we can look at those things, we can get our, on our political platforms, and we can yell and scream along with the rest of the world, right? We can, but look at how Jesus deals with this. Look at what Jesus says to Pilate. Look at how Jesus testifies to the truth. I actually, this week, uh, I was working out, and I heard this Jeremy Camp song that came on the radio, and it, I had to listen to it a couple times because it was so good, but, but the lyrics to this song are so good. Listen to what this says. This song is called When You Speak, and it says this, I find it's always the lie that is loudest. I know the one with the power is never the one who is shouting. I lean in. I know that I need to listen. Through all of the thunder you whisper, even in doubt you are with me. Like a love song that I've always known, your word hits me deep inside my soul. When you speak, I'm found in the sound of peace. Be still. The wind and the waves bow to your will. You drown my fear with a love more real than anything, anything I feel. When you speak, when you speak. In our society today, we've confused the volume with which someone speaks with a testament to the truth about which they're speaking, right? If I just yell it loud enough, it's going to be true. But Jesus doesn't play that game, right? Jesus, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Jesus in his love, when we talked about Jesus' love versus the world's love, the world's love is loud and flashy, right? The world's love says, look at me, right? And we looked at Peter. Peter said, Jesus, I'll die for you, right? And Jesus says, Peter, I, I'm not asking you to die for me right now. I'm, I'm asking you to go get that net of, that catch of fish and bring it over here, Right? Peter's love was flashy. That was what Peter knew to give to Jesus. That's what the world gives, is flashy love. But Jesus' love is quiet. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's not a loud, flashy love. It's a quiet, steady, faithful love. The same could be said with Jesus' truth. It's not a loud truth, right? And he doesn't scream the truth at Pilate. Can you imagine if this was, you know, CNN or Fox News, Jesus and Pilate are having this discussion back and forth? It wouldn't even get any views, right? Because you just have Pilate shouting at Jesus and Jesus being like, eh, whatever. Right? But that's Jesus' truth. Jesus tells us this over and over and over again. He doesn't embarrass Pilate. He doesn't put Pilate on notice. He doesn't say, well, have fun in hell, Pilate. You'll see. He doesn't. He loves him with a quiet truth. Over and over and over and over again, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. 
and he doesn't worry about the rest. Does he? Where do you see Jesus begging people in the New Testament to follow him? Nowhere, right? He doesn't. Jesus doesn't play that game because he says truth recognizes truth, right? There's a saying now, game recognize game, right? You know, like somebody dunks on LeBron James and LeBron pats him on the back, right? Game recognize game. Truth recognize truth. Jesus isn't fighting to convince people of his truth. He's still not fighting to convince people of his truth. Jesus is stress-free. There's one part in Scripture where Jesus stresses out, and that's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's taken. And it's not because he's worried about people who don't know the truth. He's about to take on the cross. And more so than being nailed to a cross, Jesus knows what we forget is that it's not the cross that worried Jesus. Crown of thorns, nails through his hands, all that stuff, that's, that's child's play. Jesus wasn't worried about that. That's not why he sweat drops of blood. Jesus sweat drops of blood because God's wrath was coming. Because on that cross, the wrath of God for every single human being was about to be poured out on him. That was the pain that Jesus was stressed about. That's the only place that Jesus is ever stressed out, though. So why do we get stressed out? Right? Again, we kind of take this shotgun. We keep doing this. I'm not trying to do it. It's the Bible. But we keep blowing holes through this church growth strategy thing. Right? We need to grow the church. We need to grow the church. Come on, let's, let's do more things. Let's put out more pamphlets. Let's do all this stuff. Shout out to Gospel House. I need to throw this out here real quick because we did that yesterday. We didn't hand out pamphlets. But we did go to our neighbors and we passed out little cards that just said Happy Easter, gave our phone number, encouraged them to call us if they ever needed anything, if they needed prayer, put a bunch of candy in it to sugar up all the kids. And so we did that yesterday. But it's not a church growth strategy, right? We didn't do it thinking, oh, I hope our church doubles in size tomorrow. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was we want our neighbors to know we love them. And if they ever need anything, it doesn't matter if they come to the gospel house or not. If they call, we'll pray. If they need something, we'll, we'll do our best to get it for them. But that's why we did it. Jesus doesn't stress about who's following him. He doesn't use persuasive tactics to get people to follow him. Ladies and gentlemen, if it is God's kingdom, then we've got to fight God's way. Right? This nasty transition happened. I don't know when, I don't know where, but this nasty transition happened in the church where we thought, you know what? What if we fight the world the world's way? And so we adopt best business practices and we adopt marketing strategies and we get these design firms to do all of our stuff and we fight the world the world's way. And if you step back, United States of America, and look, how's that going for the church? Not very well today. Because when we fight in God's kingdom, God's warriors, we talked about this in the Gideon sermon series, God's warriors, when you fight, we fight God's way. And God fights through obedience. God fights through selflessness. God fights through humility. 
and in giving honor and glory to God above everything else. So the attitudes of Christ, that's how God's warriors have to fight if we want to do it God's kingdom. We have to do the same. We have to do the same as Jesus. Continuing on, and from this point, we see a, a turn of events. At this point, you know, Jesus has been kind of a back and forth between Jesus and Pilate, and now all of a sudden, we see a bunch of responses to Jesus. Pilate's about to cry out this, behold the man, right? The, this, this sermon series, we're getting there. It's coming up. He's about to cry it out, and as these onlookers behold Jesus, Jesus forces them into a response. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus will always force you into a response. And we're going to learn what those responses, what some of those responses are. Tells, the Word of God says this, You have a custom, this is Pilate speaking to the Jews, that I release someone for you at Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate then looked, or I'm sorry, then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. Here we see the first response. Don't give us this man. Give us Barabbas. Guys, this is, this is where we're at in this story. The Jews would rather have a thief in their midst would rather have a known felon in their midst than Jesus. That's how much Jesus' holiness rubbed them the wrong way. Right? Jesus' holiness was so off-putting to these Pharisees. Jesus' teaching was so against what these Pharisees wanted to hear that they said, give us the robber. Give us the criminal. We're more comfortable around that kind of lifestyle. So Pilate, to appease the mob, has Jesus beaten. And it continues. These are the Roman soldiers. They began to, came up, they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Completely and utterly humiliated. Jesus mocked and scorned and slapped and spit on. Pilate marches him in front of the Jews and says, Behold the man. And was that enough? So when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. For the first time we see the real charge here. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? 
Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Again, Jesus reminds Pilate and us that it is completely his choice to get up on that cross. And it is another firm reminder to us that God is sovereign over all. God knows exactly what you're walking through right now. He sees it all. And no matter how out of control it feels, he is in complete control. Ladies and gentlemen, Pilate was not a good guy. A lot of times when we read this Easter story, you know, Pilate keeps trying to get Jesus off the hook. And so we kind of read that and we're like, oh, Pilate, friend of Jesus. Yes, he's, he's trying to help. The Jews just won't let him. Jews, bad. Pilate, good. Uh-uh. You go back through and look at historically who Pilate was, the man. He was not a good human being. He was not a nice person. Very few Roman rulers were. They had all of this power and they abused it readily. But even with immoral men in power, somebody needs to hear this today, even with immoral men in power, God's will still moves forward and moves through those immoral men, whether they like it or not. God still reigns sovereign over all. Even if it looks like this country right now is going to hell in a handbasket, God reigns. God rules. God knows what he's doing. Even if you, in your own situation, cannot see a way out, God knows. He sees. He is moving. Take a deep breath. Relax. Believe it or not, he's got this. It may not look like it. I know I have been there. It does not always look like he's got it. It feels chaotic. It feels broken. But God is sovereign over your situation. Whatever enemy you're facing right now, that enemy has no authority over you except for the authority that Jesus Christ has granted it. Which means, this is trippy, <laughs> but which means if God is allowing you to walk through this storm, he has a good reason for it. And ladies and gentlemen, when we look at the cross, we see without question, the Lord of all creation took the most horrific event in human history, and he turned it for good, for the salvation of everyone who would come to Jesus Christ. If, G or if God can turn that around, he can turn your situation around. It may not look the way that you want it to look. It may not feel the way you want it to feel. But God has good for those who love him, for those who will follow him and trust in his ways. We just have to trust him finish up the passage here. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. 
Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. This is another popular response to Jesus, right? If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. The world makes us choose, right? Jesus or science? You can't believe in both, right? Jesus or politics? You can't do both. Jesus or Democrat, Jesus or Republican, you can't be both of those things. But does God say that? No. What does God say? God says, I want my truth to reign over everything. I want my truth to reign over science. So does this mean that Christians don't believe in science? Absolutely not. You know, I think we're going to be amazed when we get to heaven and we're going to see these miracles that happen right? Jesus healing the blind man, Jesus causing these lame men to walk, and all these things. I think, you know, if we look into the science, we can't now, because, you know, those people are dead, so we can't study their eyes. But I think we're going to see that Jesus didn't ignore science when he healed these people. I think we're going to see that Jesus restored science when he healed these people. When he touched the blind man, these synapses and everything going on in his brain, I think, connected. Where Whatever was severed that made these people broken came back together. And Jesus made science perfect. It's not that Jesus didn't believe in science. Jesus superseded science, right? Because his truth is over science. But the same thing goes with government, right? And, and we got to be careful of this. Ladies and gentlemen, your God's truth, this truth, the word of God, must supersede your political stance. Right? This is why it is so dangerous to be all in on one political party's platform. It's not that you can't be a Republican or can't be a Democrat, but you've got to take those beliefs, those political systems, and you've got to put them to the word of God. You have to use this word to correct it, not go through this word and find where this supports your political beliefs. Not that. Don't start with your political beliefs and go up. Start here and go down. This is what the word of God says I should vote for. And so I'm going to vote for it. Well, that doesn't go with your political party. I don't care. I don't care. What political party are you, Pastor Jeremy? I vote the word of God. We should start a political party like that, right? <laughs> then, then we won't get in any, any, any trouble, right? We're just the Word of God political party. Well, what does that mean? That means I vote based on the Word of God, and that's what every Christian should be. We vote based on God's Word, on God's values, and that means that whether you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, you correct your party's platform where it contradicts this Word. You have to. You have to, because if not, that truth has superseded God's word. God's word has to stay on top. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And I want to throw in just one more. This is a bonus round, bonus prize. But Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, we see this same story. It's just told through uh, the gospel writer Matthew, and he ends his description like this. 
Pilate says, why? Why crucify Jesus? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Pilate tries to wash his hands of this whole thing. I want nothing to do with this Jesus. And the Jews say, that's fine. Put it all on us as long as he dies. Pretty remarkable, isn't it? Through this story, we see these three truths. We'll go quickly through these. We see through the eyes of Pilate, we learn the truth about truth. We learn the truth about kingdoms, and then we learn the truth about our response. First, the truth about truth is God's truth is not yours. It's not mine. It's his. Christian, this means that you can rest. He will fight for his truth. We just have to rest in it. Now listen, this does not mean to be passive. It is still your job as a follower of Christ to speak truth, but you speak that truth in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Not based on what you like. Somebody's rubbing you the wrong way, right? Somebody irritates you with their stance on something. I don't like it, so I'm going to speak truth in love. Good luck with that. But I promise you, if you are speaking truth and obedience to the Holy Spirit, it will be truth and love. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to ask you to speak to somebody without you being able to speak that truth and love. Speak His truth in obedience to His Holy Spirit. That's how we fight. And ladies and gentlemen, we speak the truth in love, right? Not shout the truth in love. Speak the truth and trust that God's will reigns supreme. Because ultimately, it's his kingdom, right? Because we also learn the truth about kingdoms. This is going to sound familiar. It's his kingdom, not ours which means he will fight for it, right? We don't have to. We don't have to discover new creative ways to fight for God's kingdom. He will fight for it so we can rest in it. Those who are of God's kingdom will live by God's truth. So all we have to do is live for his kingdom, not for this one. This is a central theme of the Bible that we see over and over again. You are in this world, but the second that you follow Jesus Christ, the second that you call on him as your Lord and Savior, you are no longer of this world. This is not your home. This is not your life. One of my favorite passages in Scripture comes from Colossians 3, 1 through 4. But this passage is so good because when the world is kicking me when I'm down, it gives me hope. And when I get too high on my horse and think that I'm doing well and get comfortable here in this world, it pulls me back. 
It's like an anchor, right? It says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Your life is with Christ, which means that this is not real life. Not for you, Christian. This world, this situation you're walking through, whatever it is you're juggling, this isn't your real life. Your real life was hidden with Christ the day you accepted him as your Lord and Savior which means that your real life is coming. Come on, Christian. That's, that's something to get excited about. Your real life is coming, but we've got to live for that life, not this one. And how you live tells a great deal about your response. And this is the last point. Jesus asks Pilate in John eighteen thirty four, are you saying this of your own initiative. No one else can recognize Jesus for you. And Pilate, believe it or not, the voice of Pilate is calling out. He's given your altar call today. Pilate is calling out throughout the centuries, behold the man. What's your response? Is it the response of the Jews? crying out, give us Barabbas. We choose a thief over Jesus. We're more comfortable letting sin hang around in our lives than holiness. And so we crucify holiness any chance we get. We make every excuse in the book to keep our sin around. And we make every excuse in the book to get rid of holiness, to push it as far away as we can. Being holy is not cool anyway, right? That's not relevant. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to want to hang out with you if you're holy. So we accept that, and we choose relevance. Or maybe it's the response of the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, and you mock Jesus. You make fun of him. If you make fun of him, you don't have to make a decision, right? If you join the masses then popularity is going to give you everything you want. Who needs Jesus, right? Or is it Pilate's response in Matthew? I wash my hands of this man's blood. Pilate wasn't innocent. But so many times we try to do this with Jesus. We make no decision at all about him. We just keep putting it off and putting it off. Or maybe we don't have any intention on making a decision ever. We don't go all in for Jesus because the second we go all in for Jesus, that passage in Colossians is true. It's not my life anymore. My life is hidden with Christ, which means it's his. It's not mine. So if I keep Jesus at arm's length, my truth gets to stay my truth, right? My life gets to stay my life. But Jesus will have none of that. To not make a decision is to make a decision. 
and it's to choose no, to say no to Jesus. And then, believe it or not, the right response for us as gospel-believing Christians comes from the most unlikely of places, and it's from the Jews crucifying Jesus. May his blood be on our heads and our children. Which means we take responsibility for the death of Jesus Christ. And we put it on our children as well. I recognize that I am the one responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. It was my sin that put him up on that cross. And I run to that beautiful fountain of grace. And I plunge myself under his blood that washes all sin. Isn't God's word crazy? <laughs> Isn't God's truth crazy? Guys, this stuff, this is, this is stuff that you couldn't make up if you wanted to. People who say that the Bible is just a bunch of stories that humans made up to inspire us to do, you couldn't make this stuff up. Guys, the Jews didn't even know what they were saying, Right? When the Jews cry out to Pilate, may his blood be on us and on our children. They didn't know what they were saying. They didn't know they were preaching the gospel, right? But that's exactly what the gospel says. If Jesus' blood isn't on you, if his blood isn't on your children, then you can't get in. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. This sounds so familiar to me. It might sound familiar to some of you, but I am so thankful for all of the times the Holy Spirit has helped me to stumble into God's grace. Just like these Jews stumbled into the gospel, I stumbled into the gospel. I still stumble into the gospel. There is nothing graceful about my walk with Jesus. <laughs> It is me tripping over and over and over again. But it is the Holy Spirit continually, continually causing my trips and falls to stumble right in to his gospel of grace. Isn't God amazing? That he would choose this train wreck of a man. That he would choose to save a wretch like me and to get me right where I need to be every time. He does with every single one of us. And all we have to do is step into his truth. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.